0: So our parsha begins right where last week left off. Last week at the end of the parsha, we read about Pinchas and his zealotry and his taking the matters into his own hand and stopping the plague and skewering the people, committing that heinous crime, that awful crime in a very public manner. And our parsha begins in the aftermath of that. And a very interesting little tidbit is that the first three verses of our parsha actually are recited during the bris ceremony, during the circumcision ceremony, we recite the first three verses of our Parsha, and our is what the Moshe is saying, Pinchas ben Elazar ben Aaron ha-Kohen. Pinchas, the son of Elazar, the son of Aaron, the high priest, he quieted my wrath from upon the Jewish people, when he took action, when he avenged my vengeance amongst them, and I did not destroy the Jewish people, In my anger, therefore, behold, I will give him my covenant of peace. When a child is entering the covenant of Abraham, the circumcision covenant, we read about the covenant of peace of Pinchas. And the question we have to ponder is why this particular passage is read by the circumcision. You know, I'm sure there are a lot of verses in the Torah that talk about a covenant. And if we're talking about the covenant of circumcision, You could imagine there's a lot of different covenants that can be read or that can be invoked at the circumcision ceremony, but specifically the covenant that God strikes with Pinchas. Pinchas was so valorous and so honorable, and he took action, and he saved the Jewish people, and he avenged God's wrath, and therefore God gave him a covenant of peace, and he made him into a Kohen. This is what we read at the circumcision ceremony. And The question is why. And I'll tell you, 12 years ago, on Parshas Pinchas, on Shabbos, I had the great fortune of doing my son Yehoshua's circumcision. And on Friday night, when there's the traditional Shalom Zachar celebration, the first Friday night, the first Shabbos, after a child is born, after a boy is born, so this was the night before the bris, the child was circumcised on Shabbos. And I gave a lecture, I gave a speech, that night, and I suggested an answer to that question. And I spoke all about Pinchas and what he represents. And I spoke about Pinchas with such emphasis that my father told me that he was convinced that I'm going to name my son Pinchas. Because I was speaking so much about Pinchas and about the role that Pinchas plays in Jewish philosophy and how it represents the circumcision. And he was convinced that I was going to name my son Pinchas the following day at the circumcision But alas, we named him Yehoshua. Yehoshua is, of course, the Hebrew name of Joshua. And Joshua, incidentally, is also featured prominently in our Parsha. In our Parsha, Joshua is nominated to be Moshe's successor. Now, I don't imagine many of the people who are listening to this Parsha podcast coming from the Torch Center North. I don't imagine many of y'all were there in Israel 12 years ago when I spoke about why we read this verse in particular at the circumcision, but I'm not going to take any chances. I don't want to repeat content, so today I'm going to suggest a new answer to this question. Why do we invoke the heroism of Pinchas at the circumcision? Now, the way I want to discuss the issue is to focus on the two promotions of our Parsha. Our Parsha begins in the aftermath of what happened last week. Pinchas did a very valorous act. And even though Pinchas was not a Kohen, he is, of course, the grandson of Aaron, the son of Elazar, the high priest, who has replaced Aaron. But because Pinchas was alive at the time when Aaron and his sons were consecrated as priests, he was a standard issued Levite. He was not a Kohen. But because of what he did, he was made into a Kohen. So the first promotion of our parsha is Pinchas. He was not a Kohen. And the Almighty said, I'm going to give him a covenant of peace, and he is going to become a Kohen forever. All his descendants are all going to be Kohanim, are all going to be priests. That's important to note, that Pinchas was not just any Kohen. The sources maintain that the high priests, almost all of them, were descendants of Pinchas. And it's an amazing thing. Pinchas, he does his one act of valor, of... Dedication to God of avenging God's wrath in last week's Parsha. And as a result of that, he's been into a Kohen. And had he not done that, he would not have become a Kohen, and all his descendants would not be Kohanim and would not be candidates to be the high priest. That's the first promotion of our Parsha. And the second promotion of our Parsha is when Joshua is designated to be Moshe's successor. Moshe is told that you are going to die, and you are not going to the Jewish people into the land. And Moshe said to God, okay, but nominate a successor. I don't want the Jewish people to be like a flock that have no shepherd. Nominate a successor. And God tells Moshe, okay, your student, your disciple, your pupil, Joshua, he is going to be your successor and he is going to lead the Jewish people into the land. Now, if you examine these two promotions, these two luminaries, we have Pinchas who's made into our coin, he is going to be, The heir to Aaron's legacy and to his father's legacy, Elazar, he is going to be the high priest, and his descendants are also going to be the high priests. Promotion number one. Promotion number two, Joshua is going to replace Moshe. And if we examine these two stories, what we find is something really astonishing. They got it. Each one of them got their respective promotion in almost opposite fashions. Let's examine it. Why was Pinchas selected to become a Kohen? Well, he did this one valorous act that the verse tells us he saved all of Israel. Again, you read the beginning of our parasha. God says, I did not destroy all of Israel in my wrath. Had Pinchas not done what he did, last week's parasha we read that there were 24,000 people that did die in the plague, but many more would have died had Pinchas not stopped it. So he did one act and that earned him the nomination to become a Kohen and eventually to become the high priest and to become the forbearer of many high priests to come. That is Pinchas' approach to becoming the Kohen. Why was Joshua selected to replace Moshe? What was the one single act that catapulted Joshua to become Moshe's successor? And the answer is, nothing. There was not one thing that Joshua did that made him worthy of being Moshe's heir, of being Moshe's successor. Quite the contrary. The verse tells us, this is featured in Rashi chapter 27, verse 16, 17, 18. Rashi tells us that when Moshe asked God for a successor, he thought that his sons would replace him. And God said to him, no, that's not my plan. Worthy is Joshua to take the reward and to be your successor. Why? Because he was the one who always served you and he never departed from your side and he was always in the tent. Day in and day out, Joshua was by Moshe's side and that's why he was selected to replace Moshe. Why was Joshua selected? There was no one valorous deed, this one outstanding deed, this one Pinchasian deed that he did. Oh no, Joshua's nomination was the product of 40 years of tutelage of Moshe. He always accompanied Moshe. He was always at Moshe's side. Even when Moshe went to Sinai, Joshua went with him. This is told to us in Exodus chapter 24. Moshe departs. He's in the go up the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. Joshua goes with him to the mountain. And Joshua goes as far as he's allowed to go. And he stops. And Moshe goes up the rest of the mountain. And Joshua doesn't go back to the camp. Doesn't go back to his family. Doesn't go back to the rest of the people. He pitches his tent. And he waits for 40 days. He did not leave the spot where he departed Moshe. For 40 days. And when Moshe comes down the mountain, Joshua's there. And that's when they hear the revelry, the sounds of revelry in the camp when the Jewish people are doing the son of the golden calf. And it's an amazing thing. So committed was Joshua to his master that he never departed. And even when he could not have gone with Moshe, he couldn't have ascended the mountain with Moshe. Only Moshe could go up the mountain. Joshua said, I'm going to go as far as I can go. And I'm not going to leave. I'm going to stay as close as I can to the master. So that way, when he comes right back down, I'll be with him. And even when he's far away, he's in the heavens, he's in the ether, he's in the upper spheres with God getting the Torah. I'm going to be as close as I possibly can to him. That is why Joshua was selected. So isn't this interesting? We have over the course of the Torah, over the course of the past 40 years, there's two leaders Or two primary leaders to the people. You have Moshe. He's like the king. And there's Aaron. And he's the high priest. He's the spiritual leader of the Jewish people. Now Aaron is passed. And Aaron's mantle was given to his son, Elazar. We read about that a couple of weeks ago. But there are two official posts of leadership amongst the Jewish people. Moshe and Aaron slash Elazar. And in our parsha, both of these posts are being replaced. Or at least... The successor of both these posts is being designated in our parsha. Pinchas is being designated to be the Kohen Gadol, him and his descendants four generations. And Joshua is being selected to replace Moshe. And isn't it interesting that one of them gets the promotion because of a single discreet deed? Had Pinchas not marshaled his zealotry and saved the nation, he would not have become a Kohen, he would have remained a standard-issue Levite, and many of his descendants would not have become Coin Godols, high priests. That's how Pinchas became the heir, the successor, to Aaron and Elazar. Whereas Joshua, the way he earned it, was because he developed a 40-year track record of never departing Moshe's side, And there's not a single standout individual deed that made Joshua worthy of becoming Moshe's successor. But it was the fact that he never left Moshe's side for 40 years. There was consistency. Wherever Moshe was, Joshua was on hand. Joshua was nearby. And he maintained that for 40 years. And as a result of that, God said, he is going to be your heir. Evidently. There are two ways to achieve a promotion, to achieve stature, to achieve greatness. One is the Joshua method. That's the product of a lifetime of consistency, day in, day out, 40 years never leaving Moshe's side. And one is the product of a single event, of a single valorous act of one deed like Pinchas, the Pinchasian method, and that is able to earn its doer eternal benefits, eternal dividends. And here's the insight I want to share with you. Of course, we're talking about Pinchas and Joshua, two leaders of the people, but this model does not apply only to leaders of the nation. And this is an idea we talk about all the time here on the Parsha podcast. Each and every one of us, myself, you, every person you know, was placed in this world to accomplish a certain goal. And the way you know that you accomplished your goal, the Talmudic shorthand for that, is that when someone gets a coveted invitation to Olam Abba, if you earn an invitation to Olam Abba, if you were invited to the afterlife, that means that you have accomplished whatever it is you need to accomplish in this world. Every person, we're here in this world, and we hope we could end up at the end of the journey, at the end of the odyssey of this world, we hope we end up with a golden ticket to Olam to the next world, to the afterlife. And if you earned a ticket, that means that your life was a success. And if you fail at that, well, that's not good. That means you have to come back again here. Of course, it's a subject that's very tantalizing, the subject of reincarnation and what happens to the soul and it gets recycled and how that works. It's a great mystery. We don't know much about it. And of course, in the Parsha Podcast, we try to stick to things that we know or things that we can at least fathom a little bit. But what we do know is that if you haven't accomplished it, if you haven't earned your ticket. To eternity, you're going to have to spend some more time here until you get it. Well, Pinchas was promoted. Joshua was promoted. And in our lives, we all need to be promoted. We're all citizens of this world. If you are alive, if you're listening to this podcast, if you're listening to the Parashat podcast, it means you're alive. It means that you're a citizen of this world. In order for you to succeed in your mission in this world, you have to earn a promotion. You have to become a citizen of Ulm a citizen of the world to come. And what we're going to discover is that just as Joshua and Pinchas had two different ways to get their promotion, Joshua to become Moshe's successor, Pinchas to become Aaron's successor, and they both took very divergent paths, a path of one deed, a path of 40 years of consistency to get their promotion, What we will discover in this week's Parsha podcast is that for you and I to get our promotions, for you and I to end up in the afterlife, it follows the same pattern. And this is, I think, a very important thing to wake up and listen to. If I don't have your attention, now is the time to listen. You were put here to get promoted to become a citizen of the world to come, of the spiritual world. How do you do that? How do you earn that golden ticket? How do you become worthy of an invitation to the afterlife? Turns out there are two ways to get it. Let us examine the Talmud. The Talmud tells us that there are two ways to get to the afterlife. And let me read you what the Talmud says. I'm going to tell you three stories Featured in the Talmud that differentiate between the two paths to get to Abba, between the two paths to get to the eternal promotion that we all need—the path of Joshua and the path of Pinchas. The first story is featured in the Talmud, the Book of Avodah Zarah, page ten B, and this story tells us of a Caesar, of a Roman emperor, who hated the Jews. And he gathers in his cabinet and he says, I want to destroy all the Jews. I want to kill them all. They're like a wart. I want to just cut it off and get rid of it. These Jews that bother me so much. I hate them so much. I want to do mass genocide. And uh, the cabinet says, well, it's a good idea. Until one advisor by the name of Katia Bar Shalom, he says, wait a minute. First of all, don't you know many people have tried to destroy the Jewish people and they all failed? Who's to say you're going to succeed? Number one. Number two, these Jews, maybe you don't like them. Maybe you hate them. Maybe you are reviled by them. But after all, they are citizens of the Roman Empire. And if you destroy, if you kill citizens, you're going to be someone who killed your own people. You can't kill the Jews. So the Caesar says to this advisor, says, you know what? You're right. I cannot kill the Jewish people. But you know who I could kill? I could kill you. Because you one-upped me. You destroyed my plans. I'm going to kill you. So he takes this advisor and leads him to his execution. And of course, the way the Romans do this, they do it with lots of uh, ceremony. And they put up bleachers. And in middle of him being led to his execution, a spectator in the crowd, starts heckling him. And he tells him, Katia Bar Shalom, you're a sucker. You're going to die on behalf of the Jewish people. You're going to die to save the Jewish people. But you yourself haven't paid the tax. You haven't joined the fraternity. You're not part of the Jewish people. So you're dying for a nation that you're not part of. So the Talmud says that this individual grabbed the knife And circumcised himself and lifted his foreskin and said, okay, you said I haven't paid my tax, I haven't paid my duties, I haven't joined the Jewish people? Look, now I have joined the Jewish people. And he was executed. And the Talmud concludes the story that when he was executed, a prophetic voice announced Katia Bar Shalom, this ostensibly non-Jewish advisor to the Caesar, is invited to Olam Haba. You are invited to the afterlife. And upon hearing this prophetic voice, Rabbi Judah the Prince, leader of the Jews, started crying. And he said, there are those who work their entire life to acquire their world, to acquire their ticket to Olam Haba. And some people, get that in one hour me Rabbi Judah Prince says, my whole life I'm trying to get this ticket, I'm trying to fulfill whatever it is the Almighty wants me to fulfill, and this Katiya Bar Shalom started off the day the morning, he was a non-Jew, he was an advisor to the Caesar, you don't imagine he had very good feelings towards the Jews, yet in one act, in one hour with one deed, he earned a ticket to Olam Abba, he got a coveted spot in the afterlife Some people, it takes them an hour. Others, it takes them an entire lifetime. Some people do what Pinchas did. In an hour, they earn their promotion. Whereas others, they have to follow the Joshua plan. Like Rabbi Judah the Prince, it takes them an entire lifetime. The Talmud gives two more stories to this effect in the next story, this is also found in the Talmud of the Book of Avodah Zar, page 17a. It tells of an addicted patron of harlots. This was someone who really was a lowlife. He, all he did was visit and, and patronize the harlots. And after one particularly egregious sin for which he was shamefully reprimanded, he decided to repent and change his ways. And he started crying, and he started mourning. And he said, I'm, I'm out, I'm stopping, I'm changing my life. And he sat between two mountains, very dramatic, Amara. Again, look at it, Talmud of Otuzara, page 17a. And he sat and put his head between his knees, and he wept and wept and wept, until he died. And again, a prophetic voice announced, this individual is invited to Olam Ba." And again, Rabbi Jew the Prince heard that and thought her crying. There are those who acquire their world. There are those who get their eternal promotion after many years. And yet others acquire it in a single hour. Again, this is an individual, started off the day as a person, really, who was interested in in, in very nihilistic, hedonistic pursuits of pleasure. That's what he wanted. And he ended the day, guaranteed a ticket to eternity. In one hour, with one commitment to repentance, he earned his world. He earned his eternal promotion. Whereas others, it takes him many, many years. And finally, the third episode, again from the Talmud of the Book of Avodah Zarah, page 18a, it tells of the Roman executioner of the great sage, Rabbi Hanina ben Shradion. This is at a time where the Romans decreed that Torah study is an executable offense, alongside many other anti-Torah edicts. And Rabbi Hanidah Betradion, one of the great sages of the time, he refused to capitulate, and he was murdered in a quite grisly fashion. The barbarians wrapped him in a Torah scroll and encircled him with branches of wood that were lit aflame. And to prolong his agony, the Romans soaked tufts of wool and placed them upon his heart and distanced the flames so they would not engulf him and amid his torture he calmly conducted inspiring conversations with his daughter and with his students and the executioner the Roman executioner was so moved by this sight he said to the great rabbi who was being tortured he said if I hasten your death Fight, and your agony. Will you guarantee me a portion of the world to come? And Rabbi Hanina said yes, and he swore to that effect. And immediately, the executioner raised the flames, removed the wool from the great rabbi's heart, and himself jumped into the flames and died as well. And once again, the Talmud concludes, a prophetic voice announced, Rabbi Hanina b'Tradion and the Roman executioner are both welcomed to Olmaba. Are both guaranteed a spot in eternity, are both granted an eternal promotion. And upon hearing this again, Rabadu the Prince wept and said, There are some people who acquired their world in a single hour. This Roman executioner was a hardened criminal. He was a Roman executioner. This is not a lovey dovey nice guy. And that's how he started the day. And he ended the day guaranteed a spot in Olamaba. And again, the way the prophetic voice announced it, Rabbi Hanaber tried to spend his entire life toiling over Torah. Him and the executioner are both invited to the world to come. So these three stories demonstrate that there are two roadmaps for us in our quest for our eternal promotion. There's the typical path, the slow and steady grind, the Joshua path, 40 years, maybe an entire lifetime of toiling, of focusing, of effort, of consistency. And then there's this Pinchas path, this expedited path, this highway, this expressway. In one hour, with one deed, with one valorous act, you're in the promotion. For most of us, or for most people, Achieving a coveted invitation to Olam requires many years of painstaking work. And here we read about three people, the Roman advisor to Caesar, the Roman executioner, and this individual who was addicted to the harlots. And they were able to bypass the typical method of working a whole lifetime to get this desired result, to get this eternal promotion. And somehow they managed to achieve the same result with one valorous act of martyrdom. Now, this is a very big subject in Jewish philosophy. And how exactly it's possible to achieve the result of a lifetime of work with one act is a very big question. And the answer to that question is actually featured in a chapter in my upcoming book, and I don't want to spoil it for you. So I'm not going to tell you the answer. But regardless, we see the same pattern. There are two ways to achieve our life destiny. We could do it instantly, like winning the lottery. Or it could take 40 years, like starting a small business and putting in the long hours and reinvesting the profits and seizing opportunities when they become available and expanding the business and growing the business to to become rich. Two ways to do it. 80 hour work weeks for decades and you become very, very rich. Walking into a gas station and asking their computer to spit out six random numbers and hitting the lottery, you also become rich. There's two ways to get there. There's the Joshua method and there is the Pinchas method. What happens when a child is circumcised? With one act, with one mitzvah, with one entrance to the covenant, in an instant, a child is incorporated into the fraternity of Abraham. If we look at the blessings of the circumcision ceremony, we say, We are entering this child into the covenant of Abraham. Whatever relationship that Abraham had with God, whatever special relationship that Abraham toiled 75 years before he had prophecy with God, before God said, I love you, I care for you, I want you to be my representative in this world. A child at eight days with one act of circumcision enters that same relationship, becomes a representative of God in this world. And again, the verses or the blessings that we say by the circumcision, we talk about the beloved relationship that the Jews have with God. A beloved relationship. It's beloved from the womb. We are lovers, so to speak, of God, akin to Abraham. And how do we get that? Abraham worked a lifetime to get that. Abraham was 100 years old when he circumcised himself. 99 to be precise. And a child, at eight days, knows nothing. And instantly is part of that same rarefied fraternity. Instantly is incorporated into this amazing relationship with God. And there are... A lot of perks of being part of this Abrahamic fraternity. The Talmud tells us that in the future, Abraham will sit at the door of Gehenom. Gehenom is purgatory or hell. And Abraham will not allow anyone who is circumcised to enter. Think about it. If you are circumcised, Abraham has got your back. It's going to make sure that you're not going to enter Gehenom. What an amazing thing. And how does a child earn that? What do you do to get that promotion, if you will? In one instant, in one hour, with one deed, with one mitzvah, you are catapulted into being part of Abraham's fraternity. Like that, in one instant. Our circumcision ceremony is very much following the pattern of Pinchas, and of course, it's not surprising that when we begin the circumcision ceremony, we read the citation from the beginning of our parsha about how Pinchas earned his eternal promotion with one act, because that is what we're channeling in the circumcision ceremony. The child is right away in one act, with one deed. Every Jewish child is given an eternal connection to God in one instant, with one act, in one hour. What Abraham toiled a lifetime to get, a child, a Jewish child, gets in an instant, using the Pinchas method. I want to take this idea a little bit deeper. You know, if you think about it, a lot of us, we feel, oh man, I've come to this late in life. I didn't really grow up with much of a relationship with Torah or a relationship with the Almighty. How could I earn Oum Abba? I have so many gaps in my knowledge. I have so many gaps in my observance. There's so many flaws in my spiritual persona. This story of Pinchas, this story of the circumcision, the story of these three people in the Talmud, Book of Avodah Zarah, who earned their lifetime, who earned everything, who earned a ticket to Oum in one instant. This is very comforting. To achieve and unlock your eternal destiny, there's a shortcut. You could get it done in one hour with one act, with one valorous deed, like Pinchas. You could earn your life, your eternal life, your eternal promotion. That's very comforting. But you know what else it is? It's a little bit scary. Why is it scary? Why is it scary, Rabbi? Why is it scary? I'll tell you why it's scary. If you look at the three stories in the Talmud, the book of Wurzara, we have the Roman advisor, and he ends up dead, and we have the patron of the harlots, and he ends up dead, and we have the executioner of the great Rabbi Hanim and he too ends up dead. So it's great. They earned their entry, their golden ticket to Olma'ba. They've achieved a lifetime's of work compressed into one hour, But they all died. It was all acts of martyrdom. And even Pinchas. Pinchas, he earned his promotion also in one hour with one deed. But the Talmud says that he risked his life. He endangered his life in doing what he did. He could have gotten killed. So yes, it's comforting to know that you could earn your world. You could earn your eternal promotion in one hour. But it's also a little bit scary. Maybe the safer way to do it is to follow the Joshua path. And just put in your hours, do your consistency, spend the 40 years of tutelage. Be someone who is day in, day out consistent. Nothing too dramatic. No act that's just over the top great. Consistency. and Maybe you could survive. So if you listen this far, I'm going to let you in on a secret. And this is actually a secret built upon a secret built upon a secret. Cause secret number one is the shortcut. We all are put here to accomplish something. And Penchas shows us and the three stories in the Talmud show us that there's a shortcut. You could earn your lifetime's work in an hour. Like Penchas, like the three heroes of the Talmud. But the problem is. That they all died or at least exposed themselves to being killed in the process. So is there a way to get the shortcut, to get the secret, turn the lifetime in an hour, but to also survive? Hmm, wouldn't that be amazing? Have your cake and eat it too? Someone gave you the secret after all. We're best buds. We're friends. You're listening to the Parasha Podcast. I'm going to tell you the secret. I like to call this the loophole of the shortcut. So we have a shortcut plus a shortcut. A shortcut plus a shortcut. A loophole within a loophole. A secret in a secret. There is a loophole that would allow you to instantly get your ticket to OMAB without actually dying. You could earn your ticket to Olam and survive and never even risk, like Pinchas did, never even risk dying. Here's the secret. The Talmud tells us that if someone is embarrassed by another person, someone embarrasses you, someone ridicules you, someone makes fun of you, and you do not shame the person in return. If you hear your disgrace publicly and you don't respond, you swallow your tongue, you don't say anything in return, that deed earns you olam Abba, earns you a ticket to the afterlife. Now, on a deep level, we know Talmud tells us that if someone embarrasses someone else publicly, whitens their face like a cadaver, it's the equivalent of them killing that person. So here's the secret of the secret. Here's the loophole of the loophole. If someone embarrasses you on a spiritual level, again, your, your face turns red and then it turns white, it's flushed. On a spiritual level, it's the equivalent of them killing you. And if they kill you and you don't respond, if you stoically swallow your shame, it's the equivalent of you being executed, being martyred for God, for a mitzvah, and you will earn your ticket to Olaba. You will get your golden ticket. You will get your eternal promotion in one hour and without actually dying. And here's the final secret. Here's the final comforting piece. Every single person will have an opportunity to be like Pinchas. Every single person will have the opportunity to accomplish their life's work in one hour. These lottery tickets are distributed to everyone. Everyone will be afforded at least one once the lifetime chance, to catapult yourself to Olam Abba in one hour. Our Sadists tell us, Do not be scornful of any person, and do not be dismissive of anything, for there is no person who does not have his hour. Every one of us, me, you, everyone you know, will have the opportunity to accomplish a lifetime of work in one hour. Be on the lookout for that. My advice would be as follows. Joshua, he put in the hours. He spent 40 years never leaving Moshe's side. He was a model of consistency. The safest approach for us is to strive to be as consistent as possible, as Joshuaian as possible and try to earn our golden ticket, our eternal promotion, to try to fulfill our responsibilities, like Joshua. But to never forget that we must be on the lookout, on the prowl, for a Pinchas moment, for a Pinchas opportunity. Because every single person will have such an opportunity. The great Rabbi Moshe Feinstein who was one of the preeminent Halachic authorities of the 20th century. So in the biography written about him, it tells the following story. He once rendered a Halachic ruling, and there was an individual who was a vocal opponent of this particular ruling, and not only that, disrespected and disparaged the great rabbi publicly. And despite this person's conduct, and without apologies, this individual approached Rabbi Feinstein and brazenly asked for a favor. Can you imagine? You embarrass the great rabbi, you ridicule the great rabbi, and then you come and ask for a favor without apologizing. And the great rabbi obliged. He did the favor for him. And the people who were there just couldn't believe it. The, the incredulity was, was was so palpable in the eyes of the onlookers. How could you possibly do a favor for this individual who besmirched you, who ridiculed you, who disparaged you, who admonished you, who disrespected you? And Rabbi Feinstein responded, the Talmud teaches that it's possible to acquire Olma ba in one hour? Perhaps this is my hour. And of course, if you know anything about the great Rabbi Feinstein, he was someone that was not a loafer at all. He definitely put in the hours. He definitely earned a ticket to the afterlife in the Joshua Method, day-in, day-out consistency. But even someone like that was always aware that there are opportunities, like winning lottery tickets available for us to be able to, to do an act, a single act, that will forever catapult us to the rarefied fraternity of people who merit eternal life in Ulama So that's the lesson from our parsha. There are two promotions. There are two paths of transformation. There are two patterns of transformation. Joshua, there's no single deed in his life that you could point to and say, this is why he became Moshe's successor. He was consistent. He was steady. Day in, day out. Never missed a day. Never departed from the tent. Never left Moshe's side. And he was promoted. And then there's Pinchas. Pinchas, it was one deed, and one deed alone, that made him worthy of receiving his promotion. He earned his world in an hour. May we all be so fortunate that when we depart from this world, and we arrive in front of the heavenly tribunal, we too will end up with the verdict that we have accomplished, whatever it is we need to accomplish, and we will be welcomed to the afterlife. And hopefully we'll have both. We'll have the Joshua method, but we can never forget that no matter what, if you're alive, there's still a chance. There's going to be a Pinchas moment for you. Grab it. Seize it. Don't mess out on a wedding Lottery ticket. Okay, let's get to this week's A and Q answers and questions. Answers and questions. I give you the question; you give me the answer. And here's the question: It's a very famous question. Our parsha begins in the aftermath of the events of last week's parsha. We have the story of Pinchas, the valorous, heroic zealotry of Pinchas. He took very drastic measures. He stopped the plague. He ended the plague that killed twenty four thousand. And the parsha ends. And our parsha begins, picks up right where left off. And God says to Moshe, "Okay, I'm going to reward Pinchas for his valiant heroism." And the question is, why? Why? Do we have a break in the story? Why does the parsha end and the story not end? Doesn't it make sense to wrap it up and then move on to the next parsha? Why are we told about the act of Pinchas in last week's parsha? And only in this week do we hear about the consequences and the rewards and the benefits and the repercussions of Pinchas's deed. If you have an answer to this question, send me an email dot Okay, last week we asked a tough question that I really didn't know the answer to last week. And I still really don't know the answer and I've thought about it a great deal. And we got an incredible amount of submissions to this particular question. But my sense is that there's something so deep here that I really want to put a pin in this story, and this question. And I really want to spend more time before I give the final answer. But let's quickly go over the question and share what I came up with over the course of the week. Moshe was being scouted last week. The elders of Moab went to the elders of Midian, and they said to him, well, what do we know about this Moshe? He grew up in Midian. Tell us about him. And they said that his superpower is in his speech, in his mouth. And the question we asked is, wait a minute, Moshe... It seems like his liability was in his mouth, not his strength. And again, it's still a great mystery to me. How could it be that we're told that Moshe had a speech impediment, Moshe had a heavy mouth, Moshe, in fact, objected to go to speak to Pharaoh because of his speech deficiencies? Yet, the elders of Midian claim that that's a superpower. And the more I thought about it, I got a sense that there are some secrets here. Like, what's the nature of Moshe's speech impediment? But my takeaway is that if you look at the story of Moshe's discussion with God, all the way back at the beginning of Exodus, when he is objecting to go lead the Jewish people out of Egypt, and one of the objections is that he cannot speak. And you compare... God's response to him, to what Bilam said last week, it's almost eerily identical. There is overlap between how Scripture describes Moshe's speech and how it describes Bilam's speech. And again, the elders of Midian were saying, Hey, Moshe's superpower is with his mouth, and therefore let's hire someone who has the same superpower with his mouth, i.e. Bilam. He is going to counter Moshe. So both of these people only have power in their mouth, whatever that means. But if you look at last week's parasha, in verse 38 of chapter 22, and this is a theme that's repeated several times in the parasha, Bilam tells Balak, I can only say what God places into my mouth. That is the only thing that I can say. And if you compare that to Exodus chapter 4, verse 12, And Exodus 4, verse 15, it's almost identical. God tells Moshe, I will put the words in your mouth. And then he tells him as well, I will put the words in your mouth, and you will put the words in Aaron's mouth. Now, what this means, I don't know. There's still, I feel like, a need to work on this. Because the subject of Moshe's speech deficiency is featured in many places in the Torah. And in fact, the book of Deuteronomy, Devarim, that we are going to begin in a couple of weeks, starts off, these are the words of Moshe. And the Midrash tells us that Moshe started off in saying, I have no words. And then he ended up in the book of Deuteronomy saying, these are the words of Moshe. So the whole story of Moshe's speech is very dynamic. It changed a lot. But I want to put a collective pin in this question. I want everyone to still think about this question. There's still a lot of meat there. I could sense it. I could feel it. So do me a favor. If you encounter something more on this subject, send it in to me, and I will keep y'all posted on what I encounter. Please, God, the Almighty will send us, all of us, some more deep insights into this, because again, I have this feeling there is a lot there. So maybe this is a little bit disappointing. We didn't really resolve the question to its fullest. But hopefully, please, God, we will continue to think about it. So that's a wrap. I thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed. As always, my email address is rabbiwomachimber.com. Spell it correctly or else it will not come to me. Have an amazing rest of your week. Have a fabulous and splendid and wonderful and tranquil and serene and delightful Shabbos. And please, God, with the help of the Almighty, we will talk again next week.